read there in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4 says, Nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Uh, you know what giving thanks does, don't you? It takes your focus off self. Because you're thankful for what God has given you, what God has done, what God has provided, people that God has brought into your lives. Thankful, thankfulness. It's a missing ingredient even in Christianity today is being thankful. Ephesians chapter 5. You can follow the bulletin if you want. There's an outline in there. We, we talked about this last week. This is just an introduction. Think about it. As you, you look at the scriptures there, there's walk. You know, it says there in verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk. Walk speaks of progress. You need to ask the question, am I, am I growing spiritually? Or am I stagnant? And am, I going, am I going backward? There, and spiritual walk, there's, uh, the walk is spiritual growth. Pro, uh, personal. Uh, you walk. You responsibility. You know, I'm glad you're here this morning. I'm glad you came to Sunday school. If indeed you came to Sunday school. I'm glad you can be under the teachings preaching the Word of God. But you know what? I can't make you spiritual. You, you have that responsibility. You have a personal responsibility uh, to your spiritual growth, your spiritual walk. And purpose. This is to imitate God. This is uh, intentional. Uh, so I'm, I'm walking. I'm making spiritual growth. It's my responsibility in fulfilling it. Uh, but, but where am I walking to? <laughs> where, where am I going? Uh, you don't have a, it says that, you know, if you don't have a, a target, you're going to hit it every time. So you have a purpose, you have a goal. Well, your goal is to imitate God. Alexander the Great discovered a coward in his army who also named, was named Alexander. He told the soldier, remove your cowardice or renounce your name. Those who carry God's name are to be imitators of his characteristics and his nature. We are to imitate God. And our name, our name ought to be a reflection of God. Uh, when someone mentions your name, it's going to bring certain things to, to mind when they talk about you. Well, what is it that comes to their mind? Are you an imitator of God? The spiritual growth, uh, the walk of spiritual growth, personal responsibility, and intentional. We're doing things on purpose. We're doing, we're doing things because we want to hit a target. That target, of course, being an imitator of God. Which comes then, how can I imitate God? We began last week with walk in love. Love is self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself by seeking the highest good of the one love. That's why, if you go back to Ephesians chapter 5, if you look down in verse 25, he's going to go into the relationship between a husband and wife, particularly talking to, to the responsibility of the husband. And so he says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives. Love is self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself by seeking the highest good for the one love. Notice down in verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives. Not somebody else's wife, but your own wife. Love is self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself by seeking the highest good of the one love. Also in verse 33. Nevertheless, let each, each one of you in particular so love his own wife. Love is self-sacrificing, caring commitment shows itself by seeking the highest good of the one love. Listen, if we're going to imitate God, and it says even as Christ loved the church here, if we're going to imitate God, we must walk in love. It's a, it's a, it's a spiritual growth, it's, it's a responsibility, and it's in, intentional to walk in love. We looked again at this real quickly, godly love. We are God's child in verse 1 and 2. We are God's beloved child. We are purchased with a great price. That's godly love. Counterfeit love. Every time, let's put it this way, whatever God establishes, 
Satan counterfeits. He copies it. He wants to arrest us. He wants to draw us aside. There's counterfeit money. There's counterfeit stamps. There's counterfeit paintings. Well, Satan uses that same principle to counterfeit. It looks just like the real thing, but it's not. And so we compare the godly love and counterfeit love. Godly love is self-giving. You give to give. It's caring. It's forgiving. You're there to serve, to help. Well, counter, uh, counterfeit love is self-indulgent. You give, give to get. You have, some high, you have high expectations. It's rude. Uh, it keeps score. It certainly isn't forgiving. And it's to use, to exploit. It's to take the counterfeit love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 48. I'm reading from a New English Bible. It's a real good translation for these verses. When we talk about love, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind and envies no one. Love is never boastful, nor conceited, nor rude, nor never selfish, nor not quick to take offense. Love keeps no score of wrongs. It does not gloat over other men's sins, but it delights in truth. There's nothing love cannot face. There is no limit to its faith, its hope, and its endurance. This kind of love will never come to an end. Husbands, love your wives. We're to be imitators of God. We're to walk in love, as it says there in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. So as counterfeit, obviously, it is a perversion. Uh, they said in the training of uh, uh, secret service agents to uh, counterfeit money, that all they allow them to te uh, touch is the real thing. Because even by the feel, not just by the look of it, but even by the feel of it, you can tell the difference between counterfeit and real. Well, the counterfeit love, there's the perversion of it. And certainly he has taken that perversion, and uh, he has appealed uh, to our lowest nature in doing so. Notice two things here in verse 3 and 4. There's two specific areas, and I already mentioned that, they are prevalent, they are perverse, they, are, they were sins of that day. They are speaking or sexual sins and speaking sins. I've been in the ministry, well, let's put it this way. I graduated from college. I taught in a Christian school for five years. Went to seminary, graduated from seminary. I was an assistant pastor for 15 years, all different responsibilities in that area. I taught at Clearwater Christian College for eight years, and I've been here 10 years. When I say that this, these were prevalent, pervasive sins of that day, I can honestly say to you that these are sins of today. This, the scripture is relevant. It is not just culturally appropriate, but it is applicable even to the day we live in, to these areas, these difficult areas of sexual sins and speaking sins. The way we approach our life the way we pervert love, and then how we talk, how we control our tongues, even as we talked about the discipline of tongues this past Wednesday night from John, uh, James chapter 3. The sexual sins. Fornication, uncleanness, and covetousness. He says there in verse 3. But fornication. Fornication, the word there is pornea. That's the most common word used. It's, it's very broad in its meaning, but it specifically 
has reference, at least in this text, to the act of sexual activity. And before marriage, sexual activity after marriage, it includes, because of the broad sense of the term, could include homosexuality. He said, but fornication, this type of activity and uncleanness, this is, uncleanness has to do with, with our moral, our immoral thoughts. So if fornication has to do with the act, the act, uncleanness has to do with our thoughts, our passions, fantasies, ideas, and all those things that are promoted that would draw our thoughts from that which is holy, that which is good, that which is true, that that, to that which is perverse, to that which is ignoring the scriptures itself. The word uncleanness is used by Jesus in Matthew chapter 23. He describes the rottenness in decaying bodies in a tomb. The rottenness in de- why does he? Why, why do I bring that up? Because when we talk about uncleanness, that will destroy you from within. Your fantasies, your, your uh, immoral thoughts, your passions, your ideas will destroy you from within. It will cause decay and rottenness and eventually will come out in the act itself. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. That rottenness and that decaying, it comes, it'll come from within. And, and just like a decaying body, it will stink. Remember back in verse 2, as, this, as he said, walk in love, it's a sweet aroma unto God. Or it can be a sweet stink because the rottenness and decaying of it. David describes his guilt of adultery in, in Psalm chapter 32, verse 3 and 4. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy Upon me, my vitality was turned into draught of summer. He talks about his physical weakness, his depression, his exhaustion, his suffering. It's rottenness. Rottenness will decay. It will decay and destroy you from within. You will stink. And covetousness. Covetousness in, in chapter 4, verse 19, is very closely associated with sexual sins. Uh, covetousness is greed. It's to reach beyond what is proper or right. Uh, it's self-willed. It's self-gratification. It's self-centeredness. I don't know if you watched. Uh, I don't know if you watched uh, Funniest Home Videos or uh, America's Funniest Home Videos or whatever it is. Uh, and you may have seen this episode. And uh, there was a little boy. He had Hostess cupcakes in his hand. You know the ones, the, the chocolate ones, the chocolate frosting, and the squiggly white line across the top. And he, and one of them had a big bite out of it. And the other one was. Okay, nothing had been taken off of yet. And uh, you heard a man's voice, and assuming it was his father, he said, uh, can I have one of your cupcakes? And the little boy, you could see he was looking down and looking at them. You could tell he was really thinking whether he was going to be able to give him one of his cupcakes or not. And the man said, I like the one uh, that is whole. And so he looked back and forth. He tell he was thinking. He took the one that was whole in his left hand, and he, he went and he bit all the chocolate he could off the top, and he handed it to his dad. That's greed. That's greed. That's covetousness. 
Now, you, you, you put that in an area of fornication and uncleanness. It's to go beyond and defraud. It's to take advantage of. It's self-gratification. It's self-will. It's self-centeredness. One author put it this way. Because of the strong sexual nature of human beings, by the way, do you have a pulse? You have a sexual nature. Because of the, the strong sexual nature of human beings, sexual sins are powerful and become perverted in unimaginable ways. It gives free reign. Sexual sins lead to in, insensitivity to feelings well, and the welfare of others to horrible brutality and frequently to murder, as news stories testify daily. We are bombarded in our, in our culture, in our society, to desensitize us to sexual sins, to the point on which we not only tolerate it, but we blink our eye at it and then go on. These have been perverted, and he says there, but fornication and uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. Listen, there's nothing that will destroy your testimony faster than sexual sins. There's nothing that will cause you greater anxiety physically, mentally, than knowing that you're involved in sexual sins. Whether it be pornography, feeding the mind, or the act itself. These are a perversion of love presented by Satan as acceptable. Speaking sins, verse 4. Neither filthiness. Filthiness is sensual speech. To talk that is degrading, suggestive, disgraceful, obscene, even dirty speech, even the use of profanity. Sensual. Uh, suggestive. Uh, this is, uh, and, and often, when it comes to the speech areas, often people, even you, even my, myself, will be guilty of this because we participate for the, uh, for the purpose of acceptance. We're trying to, trying to be accepted. It's unacceptable. Neither filthiness. That's sensual speech. Foolish talk. Uh, the foolish talk is the same word we get moron from. Foolish talk. Senseless speech. Talk that has no point except to give air of dirty worldliness. Foolish speech. Coarse jesting. This would be shocking speech. Talk, the talk of a person uh, who uses every word and circumstances to display his immoral wit. In other words, no matter how innocent, they turn it into that which is obscene. They turn that into which is suggestive. Speaking sense, filthiness, foolish talk, coarse jesting, which are not fitting. Listen, abortion is acceptable in our society. Does it make it right? No. Sexual sins, coarse jesting, is acceptable in our society. Does that make it right? No. Here we have an opportunity to stand up for what is truth and whatever, what is right, rather than getting involved in it, rather than having it mark our lives. It's not fitting. Don't let it even be named among you. Let me share this with you, and I, I'm sure there's more than these. These are just seven timely truths. First of all, 
Proverbs 12, verse 5. And I love this. The thoughts of a righteous man are right. What, what, of course, you've got to ask the question, what's a righteous man? This is a man who can honestly say that he's walking with God. There's no, there's no sin. There's no obstruction. There's nothing that's separating him from fellowship with God. I'm in right in my relationship with God. I'm in right, and I am right. I am right with my relationship with men. The thoughts of a righteous man are right. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. Can you, can you list the, the fruit of the Spirit? There's nine of them, by the way. Usually we get about love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and get about the third or fourth one, and we kind of tail off. You know what the last one is? Self-control. Self-discipline. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I love this phrase, against such there is no law. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, the law of sowing and reaping. You know, this is called, by the way, the boomerang principle. The boomerang being, of course, you throw out the, the, the circle or you throw out the, the uh, boomerang and it comes around, swings around, and comes back to you. Sowing and reaping. It says, but the fruit of the... Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Not, he, he himself is not deceived. That's impossible to deceive him. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. You, you will, you listen, you will sow what you reap you will reap more than you sow. You may reap in a different season, but you will reap what you've sown. There's probably nothing more evidence than that uh, when you think about your own children. Here we have them for 16, 17 years, and you wonder about the decisions and choices they make. Where do they get that from? Where do you think they got it from? You will sow what you reap. Ephesians chapter 4, as we looked at verse 3, the nature of a new, a new nature. He says we're saints. <laughs> Again, that, that comes from that word hagias, or, which is translated holy, translated holiness, translated, it's a root word for sanctification. We are saints. We have been set apart. We are holy ones. Let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. You're a saint. Then act like a saint. You've been set apart from these things. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. Have they really? You're a saint. You've been set apart. You're holy. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4c, the responsibility to replace. But rather, he says, the giving of thanks. Give thanks. Thankfulness, because the holy life is a satisfying life, which is not fitting, but but rather the giving of thanks. The thankful because the holy life is a satisfying life. Why would you sacrifice the eternal on the altar of the immediate? Sexual sins, speaking sins, are for right now. But even as David said, it was physically debilitating. He was suffering spiritually. He was far from God. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. The will of God, your sanctification. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain, that is to hold oneself, walk in obedience, abstain from sexual immorality. I have never had a man or a woman or a teen come into my office and say, Pastor Ken, will you pray for me? I need to know whether I ought to be involved in a sexual activity with someone who's not my wife or not my husband. We say, well, of course he wouldn't come and do that. But why do people still do it then? 
You don't have to pray about this to determine whether this is what God wants you to do or not do. He says, this is the will of God. Your sanctification, same root word for holiness. This is God's will, your holiness. And specifically, he says in that same verse, that you should abstain to hold oneself away from, from sexual immorality. I always think of Joseph as that example. He, he ran out of the house, left the cloak in Mrs. Potiphar's hand. Why? He was abstaining from sexual immorality. It was the will of God that he keep himself holy. This is God's will. There's a lot of things we can't necessarily determine specifically. You know, for instance, it doesn't say in Scripture, this is God's will that you buy this car. Or this is God's will uh, that you would uh, take this trip. This is God's will that you would enter this vocation. The Scripture doesn't say that, but this is one place where it specifically says, this is God's will, your sanctification. You don't have to pray about this. This is God's will. And then Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. The marriage bed, undefiled. Marriage is honorable among all. And the bed undefiled for fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. You face God's judgment. I'm I'm not telling you you face God's judgment. God's word is saying you will face his judgment. The thoughts of a righteous man are right. The fruit of the spirit is self-control. The law of sowing and reaping, he sowed to the spirit. The nature of our new nature, saints. The responsibility to replace, the giving of thanks, the will of God, your sanctification, the marriage bed is to be undefiled. The punishment, I'll put all these up there. The punishment, verse 5. It's a difficult verse. What does it mean? For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, and notice the those connection between greediness and being an idolater. Why is that? Because when you're, you're seeking to satisfy yourself to the detriment of someone else, you have set that, whatever it is, up as your idol, as your God. That's why I said covetousness or idleness or idolater. It's the same thing. Because you've set someplace up, something else up in the place of God. Covetousness um, <clears throat> unto a person nor a covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. I said, well, that's a difficult verse because you say, well, what about Job? I'll say, well, what about Job? Job committed incest with his two daughters. But yet we read in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 8, Job vexed his righteous soul. It means he was troubled, he was convicted. Day after day as he lived there in Sodom. It's telling us that Job was a righteous man. In other words, that when I anticipate from what that's saying is that we will see Job in heaven. Uh, did I say Job? I'm sorry, I meant Lot. Lot, I'm sorry. Lot committed incest with his, his daughters. But yet Lot vexed his righteous soul. I anticipate that we'll see him in heaven. This is, I believe, what this verse means, and we would have to go to 1 John chapter 3, verses 9 and 10 to help explain that. It says, whoever has been born of God does not sin. Well, let me ask you this. Do you sin? So, but it says, whoever is born of God does not sin. Well, if you sin, does that mean you're, then you're not born of God? Just stay with me. This is a concept to think through. You have to go back to the original languages. He who is born of God does not habitually live in sin. The tense of the word or the verb there is to continually live in a lifestyle of sin. And, and then we go to Matthew chapter 7. By their fruits you shall know them. It is possible for us to be fruit inspectors. We can only tell from a, a, person's, out, a person's outward actions whether they're really born again or not. Even though they may say they are, maybe they're not. But when a person, an individual, continually lives in a lifestyle 
habitually lives in this lifestyle of sin, sexual immorality, we can legitimately, I believe, ask this question, are they really born again? The truth of the matter is, only God knows. So I believe this is what this verse means. A person whose habitual life pattern is dominated by sins Paul just condemned is damned to hell. That's pretty strong language, Pastor Ken. It's the truth. And in individuals whose life is patterned by these sins specifically he's talking about, and I, you know, I can think of individuals in the years I've been in ministry that I have, I have a serious question about. A couple of them I've even talked to and asked them about it, and they just kind of blew me off. Either they weren't saved or they just didn't want to give up their sin. And, and listen, people talk about drug addiction, nicotine addiction, alcohol addiction, sex. Sexual behavior, sexual passions and thoughts is an addiction. It can dominate you and control you. So a person whose habitual life pattern is dominated by the sins Paul just condemned is damned. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. This is actually Paul's assurance. God will exclude the unrepentant sinner from heaven. He will, he will exclude the unrepentant sinner from heaven. In other words, this individual who has chosen this lifestyle, and, and by the way, I'm talking about the unsaved. Listen, when you accepted Christ as your personal Savior, uh, you went from death to life. You went from condemnation to righteousness. You are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. I'm not trying to make you unsaved if you're struggling with some of these things. But if your life pattern is continually always struggling with it and you've made no change, then yeah, you need to ask yourself, do I, am I really saved? But I would be remiss if I didn't say to you, you need to examine yourself. Because if you, if you say you're born again, you say you're saved, and you live like the devil, I've got questions. Let me ask you this. If I said, Pastor Ken, me, I'm saved, and yet I lived in this type of lifestyle, and you found out that I had been living in it for years and continued to do it even after I got caught and found out about it, wouldn't you ask the question? It would be a legitimate question. Well, Pastor Ken, you told us you were saved, but yet you, for this life you were living this way. So Paul's assurance, God will exclude the unrepentant sinner from heaven. Verse 7, I like this because Paul brings the application, he brings it home, he simply says, therefore, therefore. After all we've talked about, do not, do not be partakers with them. Don't be partners with those who are characterized by wickedness, but be partners with Christ and righteousness. Don't be partners with those who are involved in that type of sexual activity, those type of sexual sins, or those who are involved in speaking sins, but rather be a partner of Jesus Christ. A partner. You know, I was reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where we were going through a discipleship this morning, and it said this is a new covenant. The new covenant that's given us is the, the, the body and the blood of Christ has opened to us a new covenant. A new covenant is a new contract. We are in a contract agreement with God because of Jesus Christ. We are partners with God because of Jesus Christ. Therefore, imitate God, walk in love, be partners with him. To participate, to partner, companion. Psalm chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. He who walks 
with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. We, we will be known. We will be known by who our companions are, who our partners are. Do not partner with those who are characterized by wickedness, but be partners with Christ in righteousness. Let's all stand together as we close our service in prayer. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, this was difficult subjects to talk about, but they're just as relevant today as they were the day Paul wrote them. I want to be very careful what I say here because I don't want you, I don't want to embarrass you, I don't want to call attention to you, and I would not do that. And as you examine your life in light of these scriptures, if you say, Pastor Ken, just pray for me. I'm struggling with some of these things. And you don't have to raise your hand to have me pray for you. I pray for many of you often, uh, more than one time a week, actually, because I am concerned about you. I'm concerned about your holiness, your sanctification. Concerned about my family. Concerned about my walk. Secondly, if you're here this morning and say, Pastor Ken, I honestly do not know whether I'm saved or not, but I'd like someone to show me from the Word of God how to be saved. Is there anyone like that? Father, think of the words of the song there, Jesus, the name above all names. We think of sanctification and holiness. We think of giving thanks because we have come into your presence when we accepted Christ as our personal Savior, that we are in a new covenant, we're in an agreement, we're in in a promised relationship with you. But yet, it is not a priority. We are so easily deceived, we are so easily perverted, whether it be in the sexual sins or speaking sins. And indeed, you would rather have us to walk in love, your love. And Father, we pray as those who, the individual who has raised their hand and or others, Lord, again, that in truth they are, still, they are struggling just as much and maybe even in a greater way. I pray that you may show yourself real to us, that I pray that, that we will not have, only have a great sense of your presence, but, Father, that we will truly be uh, surrounded by your hedge of holiness to keep us from evil, keep us from the evil one, keep us from the evil influence of evil men. This is, a, this is a difficult age, this is a difficult time, this is a difficult world. But yet you're still on the throne, you're still real, you're still approachable. Even as it says in Second Corinthians, that no, no temptation, no trial has taken us, but such as is common to man. These things each of us may face, and you always provide a way of escape, because why? You're faithful. Watch over us as we go forth, I pray, as we go out to be a witness and a testimony, that indeed your name will be lifted up not only by our words, but by our life. Thank you, God, even as the Scripture says, but rather the giving of thanks. This is truly fitting that we be thankful. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.